This is Scott Bakula, and you're listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own, and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 78, Killing Time. Are you gonna keep us tied up? What do you want? I uh, I don't want anything. Mommy, look at him. These are thought to be the most recent photos of Styles. Styles escaped custody in a daring daylight shootout. Styles, described by authorities as an illiterate drifter, was recently arrested in connection with the murders of at least eight women in three states. At this moment, he is the central focus in a countywide manhunt. Oh boy. Styles made his violent escape after killing two deputies and seriously wounding another. Police warn that he may still be in the area and should be considered armed and extremely dangerous. I promise we won't say anything to anybody. I won't even call the police. Just please let us go. Where are you, Al? Where'd you get that gun? I'm the one's asking the questions. Who are you? Uh, I, I told him my name's Al. Yeah, where am I? Oh, uh, well, this is, we call this the waiting room. Yeah. How'd I get here? Well, that's a tough one, especially with the gun pointed at me. What's out there? Open it. I ain't gonna ask you again. Go on. What the hell is all this? Oh, boy. Admiral Calavici, I was just looking for you. Uh, yeah. Dr. Beckett? Dr. Beckett. What do you keep calling me that name for? The Beckett. Uh, well, you look like him. What's he talking about? No, wait, hold it, hold it! Put that gun down. If, if you kill him, Dr. Peckett can never get back. Put your gun away. That's an order, Corporal. I'm getting out of here. And anybody tries following me, I'll put a bullet through him. You! You got a car? Yeah. Well, give me the keys. Now! How do I get out of here? You! Tell me! Uh, you, you take the elevator up ten levels and then out. Uh, the car's right in front. It's a blue one. Leon, I don't think you want to do this. It's not what you think it is out there. I'll take my chances. Hasn't this gone on long enough? We're not a threat to you. 
Please untie us. You're right. Uh, Sam, don't untie them. We gotta talk. Where the hell have you been? Oh, uh, well, I had a little situation I had to you deal with. You had a little situation? Yeah. I have a little situation here, Al. Yeah. I'm an escaped killer. Uh, well, that's that's sort of what I wanted to talk to you about. Did you see those two in there? Yeah, that's that's, uh, that's Carol Pruitt and her daughter, Becky. Oh, it's so nice to be on a first-name basis with my hostages. Yeah. I'm letting them go, Al. No, you can't. Why do you keep saying that? Uh, because uh, they're the only thing you've got to bargain with. Bar bargain? Bargain with who? Leon Stiles, this is Sheriff Hoyt. The house is surrounded. Give yourself up before anybody else gets hurt. That's it. What are you going to do? I'm going to do what I should have done in the first place. I'm going to untie those two and give myself no, up. No, no, no. Sam, no, you can't do that. Why not? Because Hoyt will kill you before you even get to the mailbox. Is that what happened in the original history? Yes. So then I'm here to keep Styles from being murdered. Uh, we think so. Uh, yeah. We, we think so? What do you mean we think so? We think so. See, we, we've been kind of busy with a with another little problem what's going on now he got away from us he got away from you mm -hmm. what do you mean he got away from you he escaped i can't believe this is happening al you gotta get him back oh i will what do you mean you will i will what do you mean you will you're not I... thinking about going after him yourself are you why not why not because he's a cold-blooded killer that's why not Sam, and i need you okay, here with me this guy's gotta be taken alive don't forget if he dies, you're finished. And, and and don't worry, okay? Don't worry because I'm gonna leave Gushy in charge. Gushy. Well, that's just perfect. In the meantime, what am I supposed to do with those two? Well, just hang on for dear life, and but don't forget that they're the only thing between you and an autopsy. Well, that's gonna be Hoyt making contact. You you have to you have to buy time for me, so he's gotta believe you're serious. That you, Leon? Yeah me we've got the house surrounded there's no way you can get out now why don't you let those folks go i don't want to see any more innocent people get hurt here well that makes two of us but you listen to me you take one step toward this house and i'll kill them everyone and welcome to the quantum leap podcast i'm christopher de i'm allison pregler and i'm matt dale and today we are talking about what i want to call one of the quintessential quantum leap episodes of all time killing time and you heard me geeking out with tommy on the last show so i know that we try to do initial impressions and sort of save our initial impressions for initial impressions <laughs> but i flat out love this episode i have been waiting to talk about killing time since we started the podcast so it's a highlight of the series for me so here we are, finally. <laughs> Matt, we have been waiting to hear what your favorite episode is, and I was half expecting you to come out of the gate with this one and finally reveal. Am I spoiling anything? Hmm? Hmm? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> the thing is, right, I so want my favorite episode of Quantum Leap to be one which is, like, heavy on message and learning something. <laughs> and, like, I, no, but... I, a normal Quantum Leap episode where he leaps into somebody of a different race or a different gender or whatever. And uh, no, I love the gimmicky ones. I, I'm, right, I'm right there with you, Chris. I have two favorite episodes. 
that are pretty much tied. This is one of them. Uh, the other is another gimmick episode. So it's yeah. Blood Moon. Just admit it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll come to that. <laughs> Patience, Allison. You know what? When you said that your favorite episode was in season five, I kind of immediately thought of this one. Though this is kind yeah. of yeah, this, this is one that's like it's so good with the lore. And it seems like right up you guys' alley, especially with uh, with with uh, all the backstory and uh, all the sci-fi stuff that they added to it. But uh, it is really like it, it is a really standout episode from this season. But I, I've got to play devil's advocate, even as much as I love it. It's not what Quantum Leap is all about. It completely sure. takes the whole concept of it and trashes it for one week of just insanity but that's okay sometimes and I, I absolutely adore it i adore it but it's it it just feels like this should be a novelty episode that yeah this is one of the cool diversions but it's not the best episode because surely the best episode has to have everything that represents what's good about quantum leap and this has very little of what represents what's good about quantum leap well, this episode is a good example of what I was talking about when we, we mentioned the possible leap into the future after the series finale. Yeah. Um, in that, like, it was a really cool idea that I would want to see maybe once, but not all the time. Like, I wouldn't yeah. want to see this all the time. There's a lot of things in season five where I'm like, I'm really glad that they did it, but I wouldn't <laughs> want it to be consistently. I'm so sorry, my cat's behind. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> She, she loves it too. too. She, she has, has opinions, it. and she's like, nobody asked me my initial impressions. <laughs> like, I hate all. this episode. Tommy Thompson yeah, she, is the devil. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, <laughs> it's one of these things. Like, I I love this episode. I wouldn't want it to be the consistent flavor of it, but as a like as a diversion, like it's. I'm glad that they did something really different, and Tommy really like put his stamp on the series, and and I think it did a better job showing us the world that Sam and Al inhabit more than uh, than the Leap Back did. Hmm. It's funny you guys are both saying exactly what was running through my mind this morning after I got done watching this, because I'm thinking, why isn't this my favorite episode? Because it is right up there. But then I thought about um, Nuclear Family, which is my favorite episode, as you guys right. know. And that is so much more of a quintessential Leap. And that, to me, does everything that Quantum Leap is supposed to do almost perfectly. Yes. And it speaks to historical events that I jive with. And we, we went over that during that show. But like you guys said, this one is the outlier. But not only that, it is for the fans. Mm -hmm. This is a fan episode. And it got me thinking about sort of the whole flavor of season five and just how much the show changed in season five. Because here we are, we're only what, the third episode in or the fourth episode in. And you had nowhere to run. We spoke to Tommy about that. That was much more of a conventional Quantum Leap episode, but they did do the gimmicky thing with Sam with no legs and standing up. And this one, they just go flat out sci-fi. It's like when the show started, they wanted to appeal to the boomers and the nostalgia and the historical setting and the anthology feel. And it seems like in season five, with the departure that Lee Harvey Oswald represented, and I guess a leap for Lisa even before that, to some extent, they just said, you know what? All of those boomers are watching CBS anyway. Let us just lean into the sci-fi. Let us just sort of embrace the fandom that we have and maybe give them some treats. And this, to me, is the epitome of, of scoring on that front. 
I know we're going to go into all the sci-fi stuff, and that's probably what a lot of we're going to be we're going to be talking about. But I do just want to take a moment to appreciate. There was something Tommy said in the the last recording that got me thinking about this in a different way when I watched this episode, which is the sheer quality of the actual leap. And as I was watching it this time around, I tried to imagine what what it would be like if they'd have stripped out all the sci-fi stuff in the future and just had an episode in real time set in that very cramped environment where he's got uh, the the woman and her daughter hostage and it would still be a fantastic episode i think the yeah. the actual there there is a really good hook there for normal um in in quotations quantum leap we can talk loads about the sci-fi stuff obviously but the um the, let's let's not overlook the hook that they use to bring it into the the series norm as well well i think that's what helps grounded into quantum leap in that like everything going on with sam is what would normally be going on with sam Hmm. and all the stuff with al uh was obviously like a a weird circumstance and we're seeing more uh of what we would normally see of his world and i think that uh season five's departure uh was needed because shows need to grow and evolve over time and you can tell like throughout the seasons that the show changes in little ways you can tell little from watching things like oh that season 4 that season 2 <laughs> that season 1 yeah. stuff like that and there are some episodes in season 5 i would call more traditional leaps that do feel a little bit tired to be honest so i think they needed to like refresh it a little bit and it probably helped that they knew it was their last season or close to their last one. And uh, as Tommy said, they re- ran out of the good ideas. So <laughs> they were willing to do things that they normally wouldn't do. Yeah. But it just amazes me that Tommy put so much effort into such a good B plot, I guess, when the A plot is so high concept. He, he could have got away with just you know, coasting through the the leap story and... Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say it one last time. I, I just, I'm gonna gush over that that B plot. It was, um, it, it would have made a really solid episode all by itself, and it still probably would have been one of my favorites. Just a more traditional quantum leap. I mean, the B plot is part of why I love this story too, because uh, the whole Sam leaping into a killer and then having to prove that he's not this bad guy, but then he has to play the part uh, with these uh, people who are terrified of him. He has to scare this little girl and... um, uh, Carol, the mom, uh, she is so good. Like she's taken no shit <laughs> from this <laughs> from this serial killer. What kind of man are you? How could you murder those women? I thought it was kind of interesting that her daughter would ask a lot of very forward questions to someone who was holding them hostage and might kill them, but she's just letting her do it. Are you gonna kill us? Like she's like letting her daughter be this independent strong person like even though like i don't know if it's the smartest thing to do but she still lets her do it so an interesting dynamic between the mother and daughter i like the fact that um they had that strong b plot like you guys are talking about to me that wasn't a b plot at all that was just part and parcel of the entire story so it's just in a different setting i guess that could maybe make it a b plot but to me that's the leap plot and it was a very strong one and it's just like you said, Allison. I think without that, without that grounding it in everything that we know Quantum Leap to be, I think that this episode would not be as strong on repeat viewings as it is now. Because 
The stuff with styles is amazing and we'll get into that, but it's something new. It's a departure. And once that novelty wears off upon repeated viewings, I could see the episode kind of wearing thin, whereas it never really does that for me. I'd go so far to say that the leap back sometimes just sort of wears thin for me. I know you're not the greatest fan of it, Allison, but to me, that was like my favorite episode until I really, you know, started thinking about Quantum Leap. But, you know, while while watching it in the production run, I was just like, the leap back is it. I had it on cassette. I taped it off the TV, you know, so I watched it all the time. But sort of like going back to it, it it, it can wear thin. And I don't think that Killing Time does. And I think it has to do with the fact that you have such good chemistry between Carol and Sam in this. And Carol's played by Connie Ray, who I don't know if I've ever seen her in anything else, but she was really good in this. I think part of why... um the leap back felt a little less grounded too, is that uh, both stories were kind of unconcluded. Uh, it seemed a little unfulfilled in, in some parts because they just had so much story to tell there. And here it feels like both stories have their place. They have a proper beginning and end. It feels like they had enough time to tell the story that they wanted to tell. That's a good point. I, I I mostly agree with you. I am I'm going to bring up the only issue that I have with this episode. I think I'm looking through my notes here, but I'm pretty sure it's the only issue. Yeah, the I don't know. Maybe it's too early to mention this, but the the resolution to the Styles plotline. He goes out into the future, freaks out a bit, and then comes back again. Like, like Al, <laughs> Al doesn't have to do anything. He he tranked him. He tranked him in the end, and then Gushy ran away, and, and the guy went, Who are you? And then he he passed out with his eyes open. And then you and yeah. then you gotta see a good look at the um at the foundation makeup on the Fermi suit collar. It looked yep. really good. <laughs> I missed that. I, I think just another five minutes to breathe, um and I, I don't know, a slight tweak to Styles being brought in. Or, or why he came back um, would have satisfied me a little bit more. Yeah, there are probably some weak points to the style story. Oh, there are a bunch of them, but it's just so much fun. Who cares? That's the only one for me. I love it. Oh my god, are you kidding? I mean, number one. Okay, let's just start. How how the hell did Styles get a gun? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, Matt and I know. <laughs> they don't really explain it. But then you see the passed out guard behind them yeah. in the waiting room. All right. So yeah. apparently there was a Marine there with a sidearm, just happened to be the room when Styles leapt in. Yeah. And I guess he overpowered him. What the hell is an ensign with a firearm doing in the waiting room to begin with? That's number one. I said, you know, things get loosey goosey back at the project, but to me that's like a that's like a cardinal sin. Like why would you have a deadly weapon within reach of potentially traumatized people? That's number one. Yeah. And we can go from there. Do you remember how it went in the script, Matt? Because this this was a cut scene yeah. where this happened. Yeah, please enlighten me because that when even when I was watching it is as swept up as I was in this concept of oh my god, we're at the project and we're probably gonna leave the project. I'm thinking, did he leap with the gun? How did does he just have a futuristic gun where Sam has his gun back in the fifties? Well, you saw the guy passed out. Clearly he got the gun from him. <laughs> yeah, no, but just the initial scene with him with the gun pointing it at Al. You don't see that guy on the floor until he marches Al out to the corridor. So the first thing that's going through in my mind is how did he leap in with a gun? And it's very clear that in the edit, 
that's the implication because they have that shot of the outside of the project and they ADR over it a line that isn't in the script where Al's saying, hey, where did you get a gun from? Where'd you get that gun? If Al could see the Marine passed yeah. out in front of him, <laughs> he wouldn't say that. So it's very clear that they, they cut that bit and they thought, right, uh, how are we going to cover this up? We'll have Al say, oh, how did you get that? And we'll just imply it's something a bit mysterious. Um, now, if they'd have had like a, a close-up of the guard, they could have inserted it. would have made so much more sense. If they'd have assumed we'd have been watching on high-def TVs and we would have seen the guard in the background, we could have figured it out. But that damn 80 yard line where they try and explain it actually makes the whole thing worse. How did it happen in the cutscene? Do you remember, Matt? Um, it's been a little while, so I'm just bringing it up. Um, yeah, I'm bringing up the script too. I, w- I want you guys to get your scripts out. I, am, and I want you guys yeah. to act it out. Yeah. So, <laughs> Matt, your styles, Allison, of course, you're Al. Wait, I need to bring up the. I don't know what page it's on. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> yeah, it's page four. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm on it. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's read it. Let's do it. Let's do it, Matt. All right. The stage directions are kind of important. Who, who's okay, going to do the stage right. directions? We'll, uh, we'll, we'll go back and forth. All right, I'll start. Um, interior, waiting room, tight on floor. We see a familiar gold shoe step into frame, followed by its identical twin. We pan up to... Reveal Observer. He's dressed in his usual not-so-subtle attire. He lights his cigar and directs a smile to someone we can't see yet. He's followed into the room by a young Marine MP. Sorry to keep you waiting. My name's Al. <laughs> <laughs> Leon Styles, it's the mirror image come to life. He's dressed in white and appears to be in a state of shock. Everything around him is bright blue. He gives Al and the MP the once-over, then goes back to taking in the room. He circles around them, getting closer as he takes in the view. Pretty, isn't it? I wanted to throw in an Italian leather sofa, sofa and a few area rugs, but we couldn't find it in the budget. <laughs> Look, I know you've probably... <laughs> Look, I know you've probably got a million questions, but I think we should probably start with... Styles suddenly pulls the gun from the MP's holster and knocks him out. He then turns quickly and levels it at Al. And I think that's, that's pretty much where we come in, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to juice that up with a lot of Foley work and some, some organs like an old-time radio drummer. <laughs> that was amazing, <laughs> okay, guys. Yeah, Thank fine. you. <laughs> yeah, so he just comes in with the guard. Yeah, that's weird that like yeah. they didn't know he was a killer yet, and already they're coming in with a gun. Do they always come in with guns? That that to me struck me as okay. It's convenient for the plot. It's what twenty thirty seconds of material. I don't know if they they cut it because they weren't happy with it or if they cut it for time, but it's the most frustrating cut ever because yeah, it's um the uh, everyone that watches this episode you see it on on Facebook and you see it in forums people saying oh this bit doesn't make any sense where did he get the gun from and like i say that ADR makes it a 100 times worse it makes it worse that Al doesn't know um but it's it's kind of tough to to cover that it was also something that they kept in the uh the promo for the episode there was a commercial that had that scene in it right yeah the scene where styles actually attacks the guard that we just dramatized yeah. here for your listening pleasure everyone yeah i've never been able to find the promo but it exists somewhere that sounds like a challenge to listeners out there <laughs> impress us with your level of fandom send us that promo so that we can actually see something of that cut scene i guess it was filmed then oh yes so i i just answered my own question um at leapcom 93 uh, belisario said that he thought the scene was kind of hokey it didn't look real so he requested it be cut and, and replaced with a line that just implies that he somehow leapt in with a futuristic gun. 
Al didn't see <sighs> the guard on the ground. He was turned around. He was like a, a wrestling referee, you know? He just didn't see it happen. <laughs> like, if we're picking apart that scene, can we also just spend a moment enjoying the cutaway to the freeze frame from the leap back where we see the outside of the imaging chamber? And oh, then we cut yeah. back... And then we see the long shot of that massive corridor that doesn't look anything like that. That's all right. That that was. It's like I thought. I thought the door just opened. Apparently, the whole wall reached. Exactly. That's what it looks like. The whole wall has disappeared silently. Silently as well. So yeah, it's like Jurassic Park when suddenly there's a cliff there just for like the dinosaur to mm. fall when there was no cliff whatsoever. Um, yeah, th- oh, this whole scene is frustrating, though. There is that, the beginning, where, like, I was like, where'd you get the gun? And then, when they go out of the, into the hallway, and Gushy, mm. <laughs> Gushy just keeps calling him Dr. Beckett, as if he thinks that Sam is there. Well, you look like him. <laughs> it, do- it doesn't make any sense that he would keep calling him that, like, as if he didn't know, it, j- it j- I, I can't wrap my mind around what the thinking is in this particular scene. Because she is clearly meant to be very eccentric the way that Tommy's written him. But why would, even if he doesn't think it's actually Sam, if he's calling like, he he just thinks he's taken the person out of the waiting room and he's going to just call him Dr. Beckett? Like, doesn't really make a lot of sense. Okay, let, let's build on that as well. So, so Gushy is written. I can't believe I'm picking apart one of my favorite episodes, but you love it. Yeah, I do. So, <laughs> G- Gushy is written here as clearly some kind of mad genius. He's obviously great with the computers, but an absolute idiot with anything like approaching real life. And yet, he is apparently second in command at the project, left in charge whenever <laughs> Al goes for a coffee break. What the fuck? <laughs> That is my 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 next note. I mean, <laughs> what what is the hierarchy at the project? <laughs> I mean, Gushy is so inept. Whoever's around and has lines, it's Gushy. That's it. Has Al never taken a holiday in five years? Because I can't imagine Al being like, right, I'm, I'm no, or, or slept or anything. They can't leave Gushy in charge every time Al's not around. <laughs> Oh man, but this is what this is what this episode I love what this episode brings up lore wise about this. Okay, so here's what we understand is the reason Al has never had a, a break <laughs> in five years, four years, whatever, is because <laughs> for some reason his brain waves sync up better than Gushy's do because Gushy's all messed up and warped and mm. stuff. They try and hook him up, but it's not quite the same. Gushy, why are you fading in and out like that? I must not be tuned into your exact brainwave. And your voice is... Ziggy did kind of arrest you. So that brings up more questions about, like, what is is Al's particular connection at the project? Like, it, it could be the same reason, like, why does Al remember certain things about the timeline, but no one else does? Why is Sam affected by memory changes, but not him? Stuff like that. There's something about the way that Al is connected to Ziggy that is just specific to him. I have headcanon for that. That didn't bother me because, I, I mean, for a start, that's kind of touched on in Prelude anyway. But um, even regardless of that, just within this episode, I figured, all right, this whole brainwave connection that he has with, with Ziggy and with Sam could have been something that took months or years to get working. And they've got like half an hour to get Gushy sorted out. So they just they did a botch job with Gushy. That's true. He did say it was a rush job. But why yeah. didn't they ever do this before? 
Because certainly Al can't always be there. They should have had a backup. They right? should have had a backup, yeah. Maybe. And my headcanon always said that since Ziggy's a parallel hybrid computer, that there was some neurological components, and that's how she could track Sam, and that's how she could um, have Al project to Sam in the past. I'm pretty sure Prelude goes down that route. It's got bits of Sam and Al in it. Yeah, I think there's like there's like cells from both of them. That's yeah. what I think. And I, I think I might have put... I'm, I, maybe I thought I put it in my book and I'm just conflating that with what I read in Prelude or maybe I did as well. <laughs> I, I think in, in Prelude it was some... It was some ridiculous thing where it was like Sam got hit with a gun and so he's having brain surgery and then that's how he got the white streak in his hair. But also it was like the doctor's like, I need to take some cells from his br- I don't know why, but I'm going to save these cells. Oh, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. And then they put the cells in the computer. You got a lot of fun ahead of us. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of weirdness going on there. But I feel like there has to be some sort of thing like that. I always had canon do with something like that, too, because it just seemed... I, I also find it interesting, too, that, like, um, Gushy's brainwaves can be synced up to Owl while he's just walking around in present day. Admiral! Who said that? It's me. Gushy. Gushy? Where are you? I'm right in front of you. Can't see me. If I could see you, would I be talking to the sidewalk? I guess they didn't do a very good job of sinking out brainwaves. Yeah, that to me was the biggest what out of this episode because I'd completely forgotten about that scene. And I'm thinking, okay, so how does this work logically if you're going to take like in the fiction, thank you, Matt, how the project works? I can see them sending an image of Al back to Sam because of maybe the neurological connection that we all sort of had canon into the way Ziggy was built. But to have Gushy then be able to basically go into real time as a hologram. The only way it works is if it's because Ziggy is also connected to Al in some fundamental way. Yeah, yeah. that's what yeah. it, like, it seems to support that theory. Yeah, without Al there, could Ziggy send a hologram out to just be a spy at any place at any time? Which the implications of that are huge. Yeah, well, Gushy does, uh, he, Gushy says some line about not being able to sync up his brain waves with Al's as well as like Al's with Sam's. So uh, yeah, it does seem to support the theory that it's something about how Al and Sam are connected to the project that is different. Yeah. Just great stuff all around. I mean, it's like mind blowing and paradigm shifting. And I loved every bit of it. And I love even more the fact that they kept it so sloppy because they were in crisis mode. So you didn't really have time. They didn't have time to spell it out. Hmm. It was just like, okay, we're doing this by the seat of our pants. It's very slapdash. And and here you go. Follow along or or be lost, but whatever. This is how we're going to give it to you. There's a lot of like, you know, when Sam's explaining what's going on uh, to uh, to Carol and Becky, he's just like, I won't bother explaining how it works. <laughs> I'll explain <laughs> later. <laughs> and then when Al's asked by Styles with this place, he's like, ah, you know, it's kind of a thing that just kind of like mushes over there. What the hell is all this? Uh, what is all this? What is all that? Well, it's, uh, it's sort of an underground top secret uh, research laboratory style type of thing. Kind of, sort of this kind of thing. <laughs> Just while we're on the topic of the, the kind of the bots jobs that they, they had to do with Gushy, let's just take a moment to be impressed with a show that is clearly getting budget squeezes and the effect they managed to do with Gushy. And a lot of this was was clever cutting, but the um, the effects with Gushy phasing in and out in the past and Sam kind of 
kind of walking round him. There was, again, some of it was editing trickery, but very neat. Yeah, it's a shame that um, this was during the period where they were editing the effects on tape, because Mm -hmm. uh, every time that Gushy is in a scene, the entire shot that he's in, uh, which can be, there's a lot of really long shots that they just keep one take, um, are all SD and kind of grimy looking. And so there is a a good portion of uh, Sam's leap that looks pretty bad. The effect is good, but the the tape is bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This was Gushy's best episode. Yes. This was Gushy's best. He had so many things to do. Like, you you get so many things about his character that you never really... You got a lot about, like, he has bad breath. Uh, Apparently, he he cheated with Tina and and, uh, behind Al's back. Stuff like that. But um, we didn't really get a lot about who Gushy is. And you kind of... You get that Sam doesn't really like him. (laughs) Like, Sam's like, oh, mean gushy, huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I don't know that Sam doesn't like him. Is he the man for the job, I think? Yes. Sam is worried, like, I'm here in this crisis situation where I'm going to die. Maybe Gushy's kind of unreliable, which is something we kind of get. Yeah, you're sending Gushy in? He, yeah. <laughs> really, he, uh, Gushy? <laughs> he's kind of spacey. It's just the guy you want second in command there, really. Yeah, I did like, um, it was really funny, his line too, when, uh, when Styles comes back to the project. <laughs> I'd love to accommodate you, but it, it doesn't work that way. We don't have control over it. Well, who does? Well, well that kind of depends on your point of view. Call yourself a religious man? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> Very good. That was good. We're getting a little bit ahead. Um, I still want to talk about how Styles got the hell out of the project. Uh, how do I get out of here? Um, elevator up 10 levels. The car is parked right out front. Yeah, everyone just watched it happen. Why couldn't they just shut down the elevator? Did they have no other guns? Did they have no <laughs> other guns in the project? Surely there were other people that could be like, hey, you ain't making it out. Yeah, but they, they can't risk killing Sam. That's why he said, Ensign, holster your weapon. Okay. Because if you if something happens to Sam, Dr. Beckett can't get home. So I understood that. Like, they were sort of in a bind there. Call up to security on the front gate and have them ready... With tranquilizers. Yeah. Right. And then you also have the hand link, and you say the second that elevator door closes, Ziggy, stop the power to the elevators. Yes. Yeah. Boom. Yeah, that would have been a really easy solution. <laughs> but then there's, no, then there's no show. <laughs> so. Can we go with uh, back uh, guns at the project? <laughs> We're back yeah. to guns now. Okay. Well, I mean. Can we talk about, about that weapons locker? Uh, I think it was a weapons locker. Oh, the, the shelf, the action shelf of stuff. <laughs> it's just a shelf yes. with a bunch of stuff thrown on it, all haphazard. <gasps> was 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 that like a bat grappling hook that I saw in there? Was there? Oh my god! It looked like wow, a it looked like again. a grappling hook from like from like Batman's utility belt. I just didn't understand why it was so careless. It was just a shelf that they just thrown things on. It was no like order or organization or like. <sighs> bookends or anything to keep it looking neat nothing it was just like here's where you just toss the gun here's where you toss the discs here's where you toss the grappling hook just pick up what you want why did they need any of this stuff that's what i was wondering too i mean i guess you needed to but al is a military man i'm sure he has a sidearm of his own um (laughs) it was just the weirdest he had his action jacket at the ready he's like i gotta dress the part I'm going to be badass. Sexy Al. Oh, man. We never see him wearing all black. Never. <laughs> no, He's like, no. this is my action outfit. <laughs> He's on covert ops, man. 
Yeah, um, Action L is very good. He had the, uh, the, the disc with Ziggy on it to put in the car. Ziggy was pre-recorded? Ziggy car disc? I think Ziggy, yeah, it was, it yeah, was Ziggy, wasn't sure Ziggy's was. greatest hits. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was a future disc. They had, like, uh, like, light on it, the holographic stuff, and, uh, Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then he could track Gushy's car with Ziggy in the future of 1999. <laughs> that was an amazing depiction of the future. I loved the neon deco noir feel that they gave to everything. Oh, was, they were like, just put a bunch of neon bars out there and a sign that says electromagnetic cars here and it's the future. <laughs> Seven years. What were they expecting? Expecting to happen in seven years. This was what 1992. This is set in 1999. Seven years. Yeah, that was optimistic. Yeah, I never, I never understood that. I loved it. I never understood I that. I always assumed the project was more futuristic because they have a time machine, so they would have like a lot of gadgets you wouldn't see. But then, like, it's like, so that's what they think 1999 was going to be seven years ahead. But that that was a straight straight up callback to first season. With all the neon and the weird appliques and yeah, I it's it's in sure. keeping. It's cool. I I love yeah, it. It felt it felt organic within within the confines of the series. It's fine. It's it's a fundamental thing with the whole show. It's not that yeah. this is inconsistent. It's no. just questions I have. Um, yeah. No, oh, me too. <laughs> you know, you know what I really loved though. Okay, here's a little tidbit for you. Um, the uh, the exterior for Sex World, <laughs> <laughs> which that. is where the hooker goes uh, with uh, Styles, is a location that Donald Belisario liked using a lot, and it was uh, used very prominently in the show Tequila and Benetti. Oh, and that really? was um, Benetti's apartment. <laughs> he lived in this weird neon place i get it didn't seem like a very comfortable place to live but every time i saw it i'm like yeah it's sex world <laughs> i love how i guess also prostitution has been legalized in 1999 yeah if you have a giant place called sex world yeah it ain't, it ain't subtle it's right there on on the name yeah i mean maybe he he made his way over to to nevada how far away is it from? <laughs> well I was going to ask you guys, since you know all the technical stuff, this had to be shot in downtown LA, right? Or Oh, oh, oh! Yay! I can tell oh, my oh. car park story! <laughs> oh, you have like, a car park story! Thank you, tell the story, man! <laughs> the car park story I've been wanting to share since 2016. So I... <laughs> all right, I, um, I love this episode, right? Um, so when I was, I was researching for the book... Um, for Beyond the Mirror Image back in 2015. And I, I take a trip to Los Angeles every February for a Doctor Who convention. And at some point in 2015, I was watching Killing Time in high def, and I spotted... Hang on, what is it? What does Mocha stand for? Remind me. The mu- I spotted, as Styles gets out of the car, you can just about see a sign saying Museum of Contemporary Art. So I got super excited and I jumped onto Google Maps and I found the Museum of Contemporary Art in Los Angeles. Yes, it is downtown LA. And I used, knowing that I was going to be going uh, to LA in like six months time, but that I would not have a lot of time to try and find an underground car park. I, I then spent an evening on Google Street View walking around a virtual Los Angeles, trying to find my way from the where it said Mocha was, like the, the front door to Mocha, how to walk from there to the underground car park without actually like going in and going down the lifts and stuff like that. And I found it 
and I went and visited it, and I got a photo taken there because I I love oh that location. It's my favourite location in five seasons. I I love the all the obviously it, it's it's a car park. It doesn't have all the lights that it does in uh, in Quantum Leap, all the neon and stuff. But um, yeah, I I just that moment in Quantum Leap is so defining for me. I had to visit there. It's like a holy grail. And um, yeah, when I I still remember very clearly the night when I saw that Mocha sign. I was like, yes, I can find it. Um, so there's, <laughs> That's so there's so good. that. Do you have this picture on hand, right? <laughs> yeah, it's in it's in Beyond the Mirror Image. It's on page 307. I'm looking at it now. Oh, okay. Um, I, it's not one with me in it. I've got another picture that's actually got me in it. But I did, I did take a picture. you got to show us that, the picture with you. Yeah. yeah I, I'll, I'll put location. that up on the, on, on the show page for this it. episode. Um, I went there again a year later. Uh, I oh my every, god! Uh, I, I stopped doing that. I, I, I go back to LA every year, but I thought going to a car park on a yearly basis would be a bit weird. Ah, uh, there's there's <laughs> there's big money in in um, set walking tours. You could make the Quantum Leap walking tour, <clears throat> and the the upshot is it will only be about forty minutes of everybody's time, and you get to make the same amount of money. It's like it's like the Seinfeld tour, but a lot more convenient. You'd be like, this is where Al parked. There, here's where the hooker was. Here's where the electromagnetic car sign was. That'll be $30, please. (laughs) The other location that, um, just before that, the other location that's worth uh, keeping an eye out for, if you happen to be in LA, is uh, as Al is entering downtown New Mexico, whatever, he drives past a sign that says Hope Street, and you can see the IBM building very clearly, and a bank that that escapes me, Citibank, I think. And it's very obviously the LA skyline. And as you drive into LA, um, it, well, as I as I drive into LA from the the place I go to the convention every year, from that angle, it's yeah, very visible, very easy to to get to. So yes, it's it's LA at night with more sex. Man, that's awesome. I I'm sorry, I've just I've been bursting to get this out. You know when Chris, when you, you were said so hey, excited. Oh my god, Chris! When you said to me, "Hey, do you want do you want to come on and start co-hosting the podcast regularly?" I was like, "Yes," because then I can talk about this car park. I, I'm I'm done now. I'm not doing any more episodes. This this is it for me. Oh shit! Oh man, <laughs> I'm retiring. Now. I didn't realize it was all just the long game to get to car park. <sighs> Going on, on on that high note, are you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I went to a car park. <laughs> Bing, hang up. I've visited a load of cool locations in my time, and yeah, going to LA once a year means I've had plenty of opportunities to visit like all kinds of places. That uh, last year I went to uh, Buffy Summers's house. That was quite cool. Oh, that's cool. But but nothing beats the car park. <laughs> Just because I saw when I was twelve, that car park was the future. I I saw it and I was like, that that, that is what the future is going to look like. A car park. You know what? That's that's kind of sweet, actually. Let's be like, you know what? I'm gonna visit the future at last. The culmination yeah. <laughs> of your childhood dreams is the car park. It, it it would have been that, or stepping onto the actual bridge—not a recreation, but the actual bridge of the Enterprise D. Either one of those would represent my childhood vision of the future. And I don't know if that set exists anymore. I don't. I assume not. Um, but yeah. All right. That's. It was it honestly I felt something really that I cannot put into words when I was stood there. It was just um it was magic. Oh, that's great. All right. Next year when you go to or the next time you're able to get to LA, if there are ever live cons ever again. <sighs> yeah. I'm sure we can find Carolyn Lowery. And if you offer to pay for the makeup artist, 
to make her up again as the hooker. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm sure she'll take a picture of you uh, with oh, you there. Wow. I never even thought of that. <laughs> we need to talk to her. I would love to hear stories from the future hooker. <laughs> if she goes and stands in the car park with me though, we have to badly ADR her because it won't be right if her, if her voice actually matches her mouth. Was it just uh, badly ADR in the, uh, the cart? Yeah, just in the car park. When she gets in, um, when she gets inside into the studio, I'm sure it's it's her voice. But yeah, there's, there's some dodgy ADR in the car park. Yeah, it probably had like had a lot of cars going by yeah, or something, yeah, yeah. a lot of background noise. I, uh, I that is one of my favorite outfits in the entirety of the yes. show is her light up dress. It is <laughs> so good. Uh, hitting it out of the park, uh, Jean Pierre Jorliac once again. Yeah, so good. I love like the little ladybug sleeves and <laughs> the the little cutouts and the gold and the knee high hooker boots and uh, her Cindy Lou Who hair <laughs> <laughs> and her edible face paint. Everything about this character, I adore. Just bizarre. She she is very, and this is some great scripting by Tommy Thompson, particularly. She is very TV safe whore. <laughs> like the there's she they really push the boundaries of saying yeah she has sex with people for money without really quite saying it it was magic it was magic <laughs> it's it's exactly it's all stuff that you would never hear a prostitute come out with it's it's pg-13 hooker but sure i think that yeah i think they got away with quite a bit considering yeah 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 and it, it doesn't when I first saw it, it didn't take me out of the moment. The, the more you watch it and the more you start being critical of it and thinking, yeah, if this was being broadcast after the watershed, she'd have come out with a lot more. Sure. But it's, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's a very, very cool character. Yeah, when she... Uh... <laughs> There's the the scene when they go into sex world and uh, <laughs> and she, you know, the good old sex world. Um, they <laughs> so she is showing him a bunch of like future stuff, you know, like they have a movies. bunch of like voice automated stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh, boy, men love the movies. Guys <laughs> love movies. And, uh, video, video screens. TVs. Oh my God. TVs. Love love yeah. yeah. <laughs> it reminded me a bit of. Uh, so there's a scene in the movie uh, Flight of the Navigator um, starring the kid from I-Man, uh, Scott Bakula's yes. most treasured project. Um, <laughs> so a part of the plot of that movie is that the kid experiences like a time jump. So he's abducted by this alien and then brought back to Earth like 10 years later, but he's not aged, but everything else has changed. And... Uh, there's a part where he discovers music videos. So he's like, wow, what, what is this? Like, You've never seen a music video before? And it kind of reminded me of that where he's like, except they just, did they film this for for the, this woman just dancing around <laughs> in front of a screen in a sexy outfit? I don't know. But it reminded me of that. I never made that connection before, but yeah, now I have. Thank you. I've never seen Flight of the Navigator, but um, <gasps> I have seen plenty of videos of women dancing in sexy um, garments, and she didn't look familiar to me. So I'm thinking maybe they just shot this for the show. Did they, all she does is just walk back and forth, kind of wiggling around forever. Yep. And it's like, so how how much footage <laughs> Again, did they get of this lady just doing this? Very TV safe. Very TV safe. Yeah. yeah. You're going to love this. Because <laughs> any video that they would have found that was, you know, off the shelf would not have been that safe for that long. No. <laughs> they no. would have started out a little bit uh, coy, maybe, and then just gone, gotten right right down to business. Well, I'm he hadn't paid yet. You don't get to see anything until you pay. She's not going to like get him off until, you know, 
Oh, so you think it's just like a, a series of gifts? Yeah, it, this is the free stuff. Until, this is the free stuff until money is exchanged. Because yeah. I thought like she was the actual main attraction. Not, I thought the video was just setting the scene. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think that nudity on the video was predicated on cash on, on the nightstand. I thought that that was the actual s- sex part of sex world. That's what happens <laughs> in sex world. Well, if he sees a naked lady and then he gets an erection and then he's like, all right, I'm already done. I'm bye. And, he, <laughs> and she didn't get... <laughs> you realize that getting an erection doesn't mean that you're finished, right? Well, no, I just mean like, you know, what if he got too too into it with the video and then she hadn't, you know, done anything yet and no money had been exchanged. They don't want to get him too horny (laughs) and he's wearing that damn fermi suit yeah nothing's hidden there (laughs) i just figure that's that's what sex world is all about he he sees this teasing video says yeah all right i'm i'm gonna pay for some more gives her some money and she says all right knock yourself out chucks in the keys and just walks out (laughs) leaves him to it yeah she wasn't actually gonna have sex with him that's that's part of the grift yeah she's she's the pimp for the video (laughs) He's got to spend time alone on that tiny, uncomfortable Star Trek mattress by himself. <laughs> oh my god! No one's using awesome. that mattress. <laughs> uh, well, that was a pretty sweet pad. Sex world yes. or not? I mean, I want that I bar. That bar it. was amazing. It was yeah. very oh, good. This was a fine-looking episode. I'm happy that we got to see more of what we did, and I'm happy that they kept up with the aesthetic that was established within universe starting way back in the first season, even though it was increasingly skewed from what we knew reality was <laughs> going to look like as we got closer yeah. and closer to it. So You know what? I really uh, I really enjoyed some of the things that they did with the look of this episode, um, the way it was shot as well. Uh, they have a lot of uh, things they were doing with uh, – Styles reflection in the future that looks like Sam. Now I'll tell you what, Leon. Just check out your reflection in there. I don't believe this. This can't be happening. Yeah, well, it's real, and you gotta believe it. I really liked the shots where um, he's shooting Al, and uh, and you see Sam doing it in the reflection as it shatters. That was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, that that is a neat scene. And um, I think that they're having more fun with Sam in the mirror Mm. this season. I guess maybe it's just just reminding me so much of the Lee Harvey Oswald stuff where Sam and Al are talking directly to each other through the reflection. So I think we see more of Sam reflected in these last two episodes than we have – ever right it's just it's weird because it takes something that is a staple of the show a hallmark of the show the mirror image but they found a way Mm -hmm. to flip it around so that you're seeing sam as the mirror image in the future and it just completely subverts everything that we've seen before maybe that's why it stands out so much to me i never even thought about it up until this moment but it's just sort of a neat effect that they embrace in season five that Otherwise, we never would have seen. That was always a question through uh, a lot of the the series before this, in that, like, what is it like for the people on the opposite side seeing Sam's reflection? So it was nice to be able to see this perspective. We saw a little bit of it in Lee Harvey Oswald's, but, you know, get more of it here. 
We'd be we'd be remiss not to call out Cameron Dye yes. by name, who was the actor that played Leon Styles. Yeah. He was just amazing in this. He was great. I've only seen Cameron Dye in one other thing. <laughs> it was a movie called Fraternity Vacation, I believe. That sounds like the kind of film you'd have seen. God, it sucks. It sucks so bad. I honestly, I don't, I gotta, I gotta look it up to see. It just sounds like something it, I would watch. It was one of those, like, 80s uh, horny sorority movies yeah, or exactly. whatever. Um, and it had uh, Charles Rocket in it as a DJ, like a very <laughs> small part. And, uh, yeah, so there's the Quantum Leap connection there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think those characters ever interact. Um, yeah, it, it, he was fine in it, but man, it was one of those that does not hold up very well at all. <laughs> Everything that you imagine is bad about those kinds of 80s comedies, especially regarding women. It's like 10 times worse than most of them. It's so terrible. Well, he's got some pretty good uh, credits here, though. He's got Valley Girl, which is a good movie with Nicolas Cage, which I enjoyed when I was young. Okay. Uh, the Last Starfighter, which I loved. Oh, I, I think I've seen that. I haven't seen that in years. And Fraternity Vacation. There it is. There it is. He's been, you know, he's been in a lot of stuff. Uh, that was just a bad thing I saw that he was in. But that's not to speak to his acting, because he was he was great in this. Yeah. A very memorable performance. I think one of the most memorable in the entire run of the series. Because anytime you see that guy, anyway, I think any leaper that sees him is going to say, holy shit, that's Leon Stiles. And, like, you remember him by name. I don't envy anyone that has to walk around in that Fermi suit costume. <laughs> because it is so unforgiving. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. And, like, um, it, <laughs> that's why they gave him a coat. Yes. You know? Yeah. Um, so, they usually, if someone's going to have an extended period of time, they're going to give him a coat or something. Because that, man. Um, one thing I noticed this time around watching it that I'd never noticed before so this is something that I hate that I that I see in things now. I wish that I I didn't really know as much as I do to look for it. But um, so during certain scenes, not always, uh, when they have to mic uh, an actor up, they'll add like a battery pack and uh, and a little microphone underneath their clothes. And a lot of the times, I will notice this when they've hidden the battery pack somewhere, and you can see it under their clothes, or you can see the wire on their chest uh, if their shirt's a little tight. Whatever. So how do you do this on a Fermi suit? <laughs> well, here's how they did it. Were you looking at Cameron Dye's butt? No, it was not on his butt. You would have seen it. You would have seen it. So uh, during the scene where he's uh, in the hallway pointing the gun at Al, um, if you look at his ankle, <laughs> it's just a big bulky thing on his ankle under his suit and like a wire leading up his leg. I'd never noticed that. So it looks like he's wearing like... um whatever the when you're like jailed at home (laughs) oh wow oh yeah i'm looking at it now allison you've ruined it for me i mean right it's so prominent and i'm like what the (laughs) there are two very prominent bulges in the screen grab that i'm looking at right now (laughs) that that one is the least distracting oh my god oh it's unfortunate My eyes! Yeah, it's so hard. It would be (laughs) so hard to hide that anywhere. So I guess that's really what they had to do. Hang on, which are we talking about? Yeah. Uh Uh They probably gave him um, special underwear to wear with it so that he didn't have quite, you know, it it was less of a bulge. Because I think, like, on Star Trek, they also had, like, special underwear for their onesies so that, you know, they didn't have, like, the lines and stuff. I know Chris watches this in, like, some kind of crappy 
streaming on his mobile phone or whatever. No, so. no, I watch it on I watch it on the good TV. <laughs> I'm telling you, but I didn't notice any of this stuff until you guys just started talking about it. Well, check your screen now, Chris. Well, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, indeed. Or well endowed. I'm not sure which. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Okay. Yeah, the Fermi suit is kind of an odd choice. I mean, it was good for a one-off or an iconic image, but to use it as a practical costume? Yeah, not so much. They should have changed it. They changed other things. If they were doing one now, it would be like one of those superhero textured suits, right? right. Like, they exactly. would add, like, yeah. a little yeah. bit to it, which I think would be for the best, because it just looks like a pair of jammies. Even the even the hooker yeah. says, like... I used to have a pair of pajamas like that when I was a kid. Only they had feet in them. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, again, it's staying true to the mythology of the show, which works just fine for me. Surely there would be another way to work this design, so it was similar, but not the same. Well... It's the last time I think. Well, no, they give Dr. Ruth a coat too, don't they? So, poor Dr. Ruth, man. Dr. Ruth in the Fermi suit. Oh, there's there's a few more Fermi suits we see. There's there's Dr. Ruth. Right. There's the vampire. There's, there's the women from the prison. The return and revenge yeah. of the evil leaper. Angel and the uh, angel and the bad man. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we've we've got a few more Fermi suits coming up, but usually with a jacket. We see the most Fermi suit we've ever seen this season. We got Fermi's out the butt. Fermi's up the butt. Yeah, but you know that really speaks to. But uh, that really speaks to um, Scott Bakula's physique when he was wearing it. Like he's just he's just in such good shape. And and dad ass, you know, like <laughs> just it look it look fine on him because like he's got a great physique. And I'm not saying that Cameron Dye doesn't have a great physique, but it's just very unflattering. Like it's flattering on maybe like one or two people in the world, <laughs> and then no one else. And I'm not one of them. Yeah, I don't think I, any of us <laughs> can pull off the Fermi suit. Well, guys, I had one more bit of headcanon for this episode. Something I wish they could have done that they can't do because of the structure of the show, but. I always have an an extra scene after Sam leaps in which he says to Carol, um, I can go now, or right before he leaves. I'm ready to go now. I always imagined that right after that, all of a sudden, Styles in her vision becomes this violent lunatic that starts thrashing against the deputies. Yeah. And she yeah. says to herself, like as confirmation. Like goodbye, Sam, or thank you, Sam, or something like yeah. that. Yeah. You know, as confirmation yeah. that he wasn't Styles, that he was who he said he was, and just that that marked shift right after he said, "I can go now," would be all she needs to say. You know what? I just witnessed something amazing. Was he still unconscious when they leaped him? Like maybe he just passed out immediately <laughs> <laughs> with his eyes open. <laughs> The leap probably would have woken him up. <laughs> Do we talk Mirror's Edge at this point in terms of what happened afterwards? Mirror's Edge, the the book? Mirror's Edge was the last novel in the novel series, right? Yes. Yeah, I read it uh, a couple of times. I don't remember what you're referencing. Maybe we should save it for the book chat. Unless it's super relevant. Just to say that the daughter certainly believed Sam's story and shared it with someone who ends up appearing in Mirror's Edge oh. and possibly ends up going on to be responsible for the creation of some characters that we're going to be seeing in two episodes' time. Oh. Let's put a pin in that. 
and uh, yes. keep it in mind for when we get to the end of the novel series. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't remember that. I try to forget what I can about Mirror's Edge. <laughs> <gasps> Ooh, I'm going to look forward to talking to you about that. I don't even want to read that again. <laughs> I like Mirror's Edge. <laughs> Didn't Al say something about like he'd give his left nut for Sam to come home? Is that a line in that book? <laughs> I think that's in your video. Yeah. If yeah. I recall correctly. Yeah. All right. Anyway, back to <laughs> back to the episode. back to the show. So I was doing okay. So now, Allison, I'm really, really proud of your restraint thus far in this show hmm. because we have a line in which Sam says, All "Right, I know what you're talking about." <laughs> what does he say? Go ahead. I know you want to gloat. <laughs> I don't know what's coming. So when Sam is explaining uh, the project and how this works to uh, Carol and Becky, he starts talking about like how it's his body and his spirit <laughs> right? Yeah. that switches with this person. When I leap, it's my body that's here. It's my spirit. There's a line that was also cut from the script in there, which I don't think changes too much, but uh, the little girl asks him, like a ghost? And he says, well, not exactly. <laughs> Okay. So it kind of, I don't know, it sounds kind of like both, to be honest. He says his body, but he also says his spirit, so... How could you have the body without the spirit, so... Yeah. You could have the spirit without the body, but not the body without the spirit. I still maintain that nothing in the show ever contradicts that it's his body, so I... No matter what you say, it's not going to change it. Yeah. <laughs> and I will still cling to what Tommy Thompson told me. Just because they were thinking about it doesn't mean that was on screen. They stated it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was also um, congratulating myself about an observation that I had made in the Leaping of the Shrew episode. I think that that ensign was in there to do the shaving and uh, the wiping for Sam. <laughs> no. part of Sam's glam squad. Absolutely not. <laughs> Got to shave with a gun on hand. <laughs> Just in case it goes horribly wrong. You're going to shoot the scruff off. Where'd you get that gun? The little girl is played by Beverly Mitchell. Uh, she became famous later uh, on Seventh Heaven with Stephen Collins from Tales of the Gold Monkey. Huh. It all huh. comes circling around. Who is also Decker in Star Trek The Motion Picture. <laughs> yeah, but that doesn't have to do with Donald Belisario. In my head, it has to do with everything important. Star Trek and Quantum Leap. Uh, but, but Okay, so he was Decker in Star Trek, and then Star Trek also had Scott Bakula. And then, like, here we go, the six degrees of Scott Bakula all coming around. <laughs> So I wanted to note that, and I also wanted to note that Carol's dress is a reused uh, costume that one of the extras in uh, Hurricane was wearing. I did not spot that. Well done. Yeah, when everyone when they have the crowd coming in with the old couple, and like they had like a few people there, one of them is wearing that same dress. Looks like you're going to have another edit for BTMI Volume Five. Yeah, let me see. Mm -hmm. I could probably find a screen cap. Let me. It'll be very exciting. You'll be like, oh, it's the same dress. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Allison. Oh, also, I want—I was wondering while I'm looking for this. Um, <laughs> so what was that hooker's day like after, <laughs> after that whole thing? I love that she rolls her eyes after it happens. Like, <laughs> like this is something that typically happens. I, I know I know what that hooker's day is like because we know that for the most part there's a contradiction that's coming up but we know that for the most part there are gaps at the project between leaps so you know Al can take some downtime. Say take it easy you know you should get to a hospital or I could take care of you. It's tempting but 
I think <laughs> 10 minutes after the end of this episode, he's right back oh there. Oh my god, you know what? He totally did. Headcanon accepted. He's like, I love she- <laughs> you're in charge. I gotta go get laid. Well, she's just like, or oh, I can help you feel better. And he, for a moment, he's like, maybe? No, I can't. Just the fact that he hesitated, I was just like, oh, come on. But it is in keeping with Al. Well, if he did stop, it would be like in the pilot when he's just like, yeah, I went and had sex and stayed the night. And then I get, all right, <laughs> I guess I'll go help <laughs> Sam out from this life or death situation. Yeah, and he'd be like, hey, I'm back. Do you want to see my bullet bruises? <laughs> <laughs> it was surprising, actually, that the show actually took note of the fact that when you're shot with a bulletproof vest, you aren't just going to get up all hunky-dory. Mm-hmm. Like, you could get seriously injured even wearing a, a bulletproof vest, and he seemed to be in pretty bad shape. Yeah, at least at least a broken rib, right? Yeah. Most shows don't actually acknowledge that, so that was actually kind of nice. It was the one touchstone of reality in a sea of sci-fi madness. Thank you, Alice. <laughs> I'm just thinking this poor hooker, you know what her day is going to be like after this, is she's going to be sweeping up a lot of broken glass and trying to explain that, you know, two people shot up her freaking apartment. What is she going to do there? I mean, does she does she own that apartment or is that like a sex world rental? Or That's not her like- apartment. It's sex world. Right. So what's what's the <laughs> what, what's her liability on that? If they start shooting the room up, how do the economics of sex world work? Is she renting that <laughs> space? Is she like a it's, subcontractor? It's, in sex it's world? a brothel. It's a brothel. It's a future brothel. I get it. So is the madam going to be mean and take it out of her uh, out of her pay? I don't know. How seedy is this place? Maybe they have like a lot of shootings going on, and they're just that's why she's so blasé about it and rolls her eyes like, oh, again. Could be, Chris. It's it's said that everyone has one novel inside them. I think you've just discovered you have two. <laughs> <laughs> I I await the sex world novel with glee. I have to give the hooker a name. Maybe I'll make it so that she's just called Hooker. Please, please reach out to her. <laughs> hooker the Hooker. I really want to hear from the Hooker. There were so many great choices made on her part. All right, guys. So I'm talking about the economics of sex world. I think I'm kind of spinning my wheels here. You guys have any final thoughts on Killing Time? Oh, wait. Yeah, we've still got stuff to talk about here. I also wanted to say I hated the music. <laughs> Oh, the music. Yeah, we forgot about the music. I, well, okay. I didn't hate all the music. Uh, and this is nothing against Belt and Ray Bunch, of course, because he's extremely talented and creates many great pieces. But I don't like the future music. I'm just not into it. It's I don't like the 90s club sound. That's just my personal preference. I really like it. And I know I, I spoke to you guys in chat about this a, a week or so back. I've always been convinced that that end credits music that he had was riffing very heavily on a piece by Enigma. Um, was famously used in Single White Female and Boxing Helena. Yeah, it was a huge, huge hit of the 90s. Oh, so you think that was something like, make it kind of sound like this? Maybe that was an idea? Yeah, I, I think, I mean... You know what I yeah. feel like? I feel like he took sort of the, the Vangelis sound that they had at, back at the project and kind of updated it using some of the yeah. techniques that... Because that song was such a mega hit. That yes. he was obviously trying to evoke that feel, but I think he also kept it grounded in sort of the kind of future music that we heard before, just with a more techno vibe to it. 
Well, and it wasn't just the kind of tonal noises that the the leap back had. I did like it better than than that. Ah, the whale yeah, sound. The whale sound. <laughs> it was better than that. Um, but it's just I don't know. I don't. Get, I don't like the. Uh, <laughs> I can't get into it. Uh, you can tell you didn't grow up in the nineties, Alison. Yeah, I yes, I did. <laughs> well. As, all right, as a literally as a child of the nineties, okay, yeah, I I was going clubbing when that was club music. Did, were so. you into it? Yeah, I love that kind of stuff, man. <laughs> I I'm, admittedly, no, sorry, I I was tail end of that because yeah, to be fair, when this episode aired, I was thirteen, so I was just getting into music when this was big. <laughs> I was clubbing a few years later, but I mean, it's it's fitting sex world music. If you've ever seen boxing, Helena, it definitely is. <laughs> All right, guys, I think we really have exhausted every nook and cranny of killing time, including the nooks and crannies in the Fermi suit. Before, before that, Matt, Matt, did you have anything else? Yes, yes, I did. <laughs> Do two, you have more? Two things. <laughs> two I tried to wrap up the show things. seven times. Oh, my God. Well, you know what? It's only been an hour 15. Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> Rate the ring, Chris. Right. Two things. Firstly, and I, these are both things I should have mentioned earlier, but they've only just come to mind. Number one, Alison said ages ago she loved the look of this uh, episode, and I forgot Michael Watkins got a nomination for this episode oh, did for he? cinematography. Oh, really? Oh. Yes. Well, well good for cool. him. Well deserved. And I also just, I really wanted to, I don't know, maybe this is a final thoughts thing, because I did just want to go back to um, Connie Ray's performance as as Carol, which is fantastic. And I particularly want to highlight the part where she's saying goodbye to her daughter. I want you to come with me. I know you do. Is he going to hurt you? You are so pretty. Have I ever told you how pretty I think you are? That really gets me oh man like she is she is saying goodbye to her for the last time and it's 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 a it's a lovely little line and it's so beautifully performed she's great i love the interactions between her character and sam um like there's so many like subtle things about it and this great journey of like her starting to believe this insane story that he's telling her and you get like a great story with her too about the fact that she's like um going to medical school and this is in the 50s. Yeah. She's a single mom going to medical school, which is pretty great. Um yeah, just really really great stuff and she's very good at at subtle and facial acting. Yes. A solid guest cast on this all around. Um we should mention Jim Haney who played Sheriff Hoyt. Oh yeah, we didn't talk mm-hmm. about him at all. No, everybody in this could have been like so two-dimensional, stereotypical, and you, you have the sassy hooker, you have sort of the taciturn sheriff that's out for revenge, but none of them came across as cartoon bad guys. They all came across as as like fully fleshed out. Yeah, everyone has a story. Even like his deputy, when he's talking to him and like breaking the news that like their one of their uh, deputies or one of their officers died in the hospital. Everyone has their moment and a fleshed out character like they have the scene where they're talking to uh becky outside after she's been released and she's explaining that oh he's from the future he's dr beckett from the future and oh okay 
Yeah, that was a cute scene. And the deputy's name was Deputy Grimes, played by Joseph Maloney. And since I heard the name mentioned so many times, I got to wondering if uh, he was uh, maybe the father or grandfather of Rick Grimes from The Walking Dead. (laughs) So that's where my fandom head went. Well, here I am talking about The Walking Dead. I don't know if I have any more to say about Killing Time. So you guys ready for some final thoughts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So I, I think I, I kind of know where we land on this one. But Allison, do you have any uh, any final thoughts to give us? One more thing. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a great episode. It really expands on the lore. A solid cast. I really like the futuristic stuff. I I just I, I enjoy uh, this this weird disjointed uh, juxtaposition of these two different stories. It really came together well. How about you, Matt? Yeah, I I think the fact that um, we we spent a good amount of time tonight ripping apart some really niggly things that don't actually matter, and you can only do that when you truly love something. And that's that's how I feel about this episode. It's absolutely fantastic. I love the um, the, the the B plot, the the traditional leap, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the future stuff is fantastic. Um, yeah, we talked a lot about some of the holes or the failings, but if this was an average episode, we would have completely overlooked those because really none of them were particularly problematic. This is it's an absolute classic. Oh, uh, wait, wait, his future face. I did want to say Styles' future <laughs> face in the on the screen when when Al's oh, looking at face. his profile and then they have the like <laughs> the texture face. map of his face and they flatten it out and he's got a big fat face like that was really distracting when they're talking about a serial killer <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry that I forgot yeah I it's a nice idea <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> this is some of the only like real sort of visual effects that we've ever seen in Quantum Leap that isn't like a hologram shot. These are like CGI effects. Is this their first time doing morph effects? Yeah, but that morph effect still kind of held up to me. Yeah. Well, the, the face, no. The face did not, but... No, the face, that was part of a transition. It was part of a transition, but it didn't look good, is the thing. It wasn't even about it being like dated if you... It, it, just making his face wrap around like that, just like, it just doesn't look good. But, I mean, I did enjoy Al in the car talking to Ziggy and uh, looking up the profile and stuff like that. I liked that. I was just very distracted by the fat face, you know? <laughs> <laughs> this is not very good. Well, despite the fat face, this one holds up. This, to me, is an all-timer. Um, this, to me, is not just a highlight of season five. It's a highlight of the entire series, and I'm really glad that we got to see sort of a look like this that can only be so uniquely Quantum Leap. This really builds on lore, and it gives fans so much to chew on and so much to geek out over. I can't help but love it. But one more thing. No, I'm just (laughs) (laughs) And I know normally this is the time when I would throw to a break, but um, we don't have an interview to go to in this episode, and we do have a bit of feedback Uh, from an interview that we did. So I would like to, if you guys don't mind, dive into some of the comments that Jean-Pierre Dorliac made in response to our Leaping of the Shrew episode. Um, Specifically, he wrote Allison with some very revealing facts about the character of Al Calavici, which I find just absolutely fascinating. So um, I think we can have fun reading some of that. Do you mind if I start, Allison? I know that he was sort of talking to you back and forth, but... uh, Sure. All right. Jean-Pierre Dorliac writes, 
the thing about Al is the majority of people, viewers slash fans, have fallen in love with him, despite the fact that he was always supposed to be someone full of hot air, more or less like our present president. He was not created to be believable. As I have said in my remarks, Al was hedonistic and his life was based on someone who was always looking for a good time, hence you cannot believe everything he says. Have you ever met a person who, no matter what the subject was or the person in discussion, they knew them or had been there? I have many times. I knew a guy that claimed to have done everything, no matter what it was. If you were talking about the rodeo, he had been a rodeo clown. If you were speaking about an <laughs> epidemic, he had been a doctor. If it were about religion, he had been a priest or a rabbi. A department store, he had been a furniture buyer. <laughs> this was the type of guy Al was, full of bullshit. <laughs> You're going to take it from there, Matt? To believe everything he says in the series is a joke. Viewers have fallen for it, and they're off their rocker if they think Al's honest. He's not, especially about all his wives. He was supposed to be this way so that Sam had someone to argue with, and not completely trust every time he says things. It gave the show an edge as to Sam not always certain that he'd come out on top. The majority of Al's ideas come from his handset, not any true experiences in life. It was why I dressed him so ostentatious. People who aren't that honest dress out of the ordinary to attract attention as a means of distraction. Think it over. Wow. Oh, I did. Wa- I I wanted to note also. He added later. Uh, Al is an irresistible scoundrel, not the great scientist <laughs> that he's made out to be. <laughs> Which, by the way, the series Bible did say he's a scientist, but maybe he's not a great scientist. I didn't know that Al was supposed <laughs> to be a scientist. I always thought he was a military man, but. In the series Bible, he is also a scientist, but I think that was written before they put that he was an admiral or anything in there. Yeah. Wow. Wait. Well, I mean, guys, is this earth shattering or what? I mean, the fact that Al is not only uh, an unreliable narrator, but someone that was supposed to be like an active liar and jerk. I've always thought this, actually. I've talked about it on the podcast before. (laughs) Al's not no reliable narrator. I don't think he's always lying, but I think that he often makes things up. So when he's talking about one thing, I I don't think it's always what's actually happening. I don't think all of his stories are true either. I, you know, and it's, I guess maybe I'm naive, but you think for the lead of the show, you're just conditioned and trained to take your series leads at face value. And especially in the time that Quantum Leap was being written, not many antiheroes, not much subterfuge going on on screen, and this was a very mainstream show. That style of television at that time, you would have to think that your main characters are telling the viewers the truth. Well, they hmm. even admit that Al's full of bullshit. Like when uh, in uh, Moments to Live, when he starts talking about like the floppy disk hard drive or whatever <laughs> the modem of the floppy disk something like that and then like sam's like why do you make this up all the time why don't you just tell me that you don't know so clearly <laughs> well that wouldn't be any fun so clearly just making this up <laughs> i guess i guess maybe the distinction i have is okay so he might be like making up some of the magnifusable about why ziggy doesn't have an answer just so that he doesn't have to you know be responsible for it in sam's eyes but I'm talking about like him saying that he was an astronaut, him saying that he was a ball player, him saying that he was a pool shark, all of his outrageous sort of occupations. Jean-Pierre's he's saying that he's lying about that too. I think he lies to protect Sam and to protect himself. I don't think he does it maliciously. I think when he's lying, it's because he doesn't want Sam to know something that would hurt him or to make him feel at ease. Yeah. Or if he's lying, uh, it's he doesn't want to get into something about his life that's painful for him. But this goes beyond that. What he's saying here is that Al's just a habitual liar full of hot air. Yeah. He just lies to lie. 
which is sociopathic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think like maybe it becomes a habit after a while. I don't think every story he tells is a lie, but I think it's a lot of it uh, should be taken with a grain of salt. Anyway, I guess I guess maybe my mind was really blown with that response because it's from someone who's on the inside and to sort of mm. subvert everything that we've come to love about Al Calavici, our favorite hologram, it just it, it really took me aback. That's all. <laughs> well, Jean-Pierre, uh, respectfully, did not write any of the stories, though. <laughs> yes. So I don't know if any of the writing uh, was intended there. Maybe he's got some inside scoops. Maybe that's just his personal feelings about the character, but... Um, well, if ever we have Tommy or Chris or Paul Brown on again, we can, uh, I don't think Paul Brown's been on before, but Chris and Tommy have, or Deborah, we can ask them. Let's keep an open mind on this <laughs> and just, just see if we can get some outside confirmation. Sure. Matt, did you have any particular thoughts on this? No, I was just going to say, even just from the point of view of authorial intent, you know, we, we know from speaking to Tommy the other week Yes, Jean-Pierre didn't write any episodes, but even those people that did write the episodes, what they were thinking and what they were intending versus what ended up on screen um, may be very different things. And yeah, I I agree with you guys. I think there might be a bit of uh, exaggeration and bending of the truth sometimes, but I can't believe with what I saw of the character in those 90-odd episodes that he was out and out lying or seeing what's on the hand link and saying, you know, oh, instead of Ziggy feeding him information, oh, yeah, it's because I was this and that. It seems a very random thing for him to exaggerate about. And it doesn't ring as true regardless of what the um, the writers may have been intending. So it's a really interesting behind-the-scenes nugget. Um, it doesn't change my view of Al because as a member of the audience, I, I own a piece of that character. I, I know what I see on the screen. I know what I believe. And um, until... Until shown otherwise explicitly, I'm I'm inclined to believe most of what he says. Well, and also there are some leaps that like he has to actually have knowledge from doing certain things to tell Sam what to do. Like if he'd never flown a plane, he couldn't tell him how to fly a plane. If he'd never been like a sharpshooter, he couldn't show him how to do those gun moves. You know, there's certain things that you can see that he does have skills and experience to share with him. So I don't think everything's a lie. But isn't that what Jean-Pierre's getting at, though, that he gets the information from the handling? So I guess Ziggy's saying, oh, yeah, but pull the lever like that. And he goes, oh, I used to be a pilot. I'm going to pull the lever like this. How does he make him have those fancy gun moves? You can't get that from Ziggy. All right. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. That's that's skill. I mean, certainly there are things that Ziggy told him, but I do think that, like, he probably did experience a lot of these things. Maybe yeah, maybe he I, experienced them, but exaggerated who he was with at the time or what he was doing. <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad that Jean-Pierre sent that to us. As am I. Thank you, Jean-Pierre. Yeah. Yeah. It was fascinating. Thank you, Jean-Pierre. That was a really interesting insight, especially from someone who worked on the show. Hmm. Very interesting take. And if you listening would like to give us your opinion on what uh, Mr. Dorliak had to say about the character of Al Calavici, there are many ways that you could reach us here at the Quantum Leap Podcast. You can get us by phone at 707-847-6682. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 
at Quantum Leap Pod. And you can always go that extra mile and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Quantum Leap Podcast. Just remember that we may use your response in an upcoming episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. And speaking of responses, we have just such a ton of listener responses, guys. I'm thinking about putting together just a feedback episode, maybe release it as a special on the feed to talk about some of the stuff that we got from Lee Harvey Oswald and some of the stuff that we've gotten for our leap for Lisa and some of the, just some other general stuff. We've gotten just a ton of stuff lately and I don't want to give it short shrift. So I think I see sort of a feedback special in our future. Just letting you guys know. Sound cool? That sounds, sounds good. good. All right. But before we get there, we have another episode coming up that leans heavily into the science fiction. Matt, tell us what's coming up next. I don't, you know what? All I remember is one amazing mirror shot. I guess there's a whole episode around it. Um, is is it Starlight Star Bright next? Oh my god! God, that dubbing! <laughs> that dubbing! Why did they do that? Why? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? He's, he's saying, who are you? And then they put oh boy over it. Why? Because they needed the oh boy, Allison. It was the signature of the show, and you cannot end the tease without an oh boy. Why didn't they film an oh boy? They know the score by this point. It's season five. <laughs> there was a lot of wind and lights. I've just got to assume that maybe they filmed the oh boy, but then when they checked with dailies later, they realized that the all the practical effects weren't quite working at the right point. Oh, man. That's my guess. Maybe. And I will tell you this, having edited a lot of this now, it seems to me that the tease from the leap out is frequently a little bit more muddy and a lot less pronounced than the open for the leap in from yes. the next episode. So I'm sure that awful ADR will be slightly less awful when you watch the episode proper. I'm not saying it'll be gone. I'm just saying it might be better. <laughs> but No, it's just different. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I was going to say it remains to be seen, but I guess it doesn't. And uh, anyway, I'm sure we'll be talking about that and a lot more on the next episode of the Quantum Leap podcast. Until then, I have been Christopher D. Philippus. I've been Alison Pregler. And I've been Matt Dale. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Alison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The Quantum Leap Podcast is edited by Albie, Christopher DeFilippis, and Allison Pregler. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap Podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher DeFilippis and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Morgan Felden is the producer. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual, and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap Podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. 
Please visit baronspace.com for this and other amazing content. The Quantum Leap Podcast is a Baron Space production. We missed a week in record, didn't we? <gasps> what's um what's the episode before Liberation? Have no clue. Oh, you talk <laughs> Starlight Star, right? That's what's after this one. Oh, um, it's, no, it's a tale of two sweeties. Yeah. No, okay. I, I worked out a little while back that at our current rate, we were going to end up recording Liberation on my birthday, and I'm not a massive fan of Liberation, so I just got all excited when I realised that we've missed a week, so we're, we're back by one week, and I thought, oh, if we go back by two weeks, what are we going to record on my birthday? Oh, Tale of Two Sweeties. Oh. <laughs> Never mind. It's, it, it's a, another okay episode, but it's hardly the way I'd want to spend my 40th. It's season five. Well, I mean, do you want to spend your fortieth on Mike? We'd understand if you want to like go out and have a party or something. No, literally, no, I do. I've got a, I've got a bunch of plans for the weekend, and if you two aren't part of it, I'll be very disappointed. Oh, so, mm-hmm. all right, yeah, I absolutely intend. It's a Sunday night, dude. I'm not going to be partying. <laughs> uh, it's a Sunday night, probably in lockdown. So, ah, oh, come on, it'll, it'll be, it'll be November. Maybe it won't yeah. be so lockdowny. Mm. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> dude, by November, it'll still be in lockdown. <laughs> I know. I'm <laughs> just trying to give Matt a birthday present. Uh, <laughs> false hope. Ixnay on the Ock-Ock-Ock-Ock-Lockdown. Uh, uh, <laughs> I can't even say it. How do you say lockdown in uh, in Pig Latin? Ock-Down-Lay. Ock-Down-Lay. Thank you. <laughs> Ixnay on the Ock-Down-Lay. You, you know what the secret uh, to Pig Latin is? You take the first letter and you put it at the end and then you add an A. <laughs> I locked the code for you. <laughs> but it was a compound word and I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> Smarty pants. I just want to put it out there, though, because I know we're going to leap into all the... Si- oh, no, I can't believe I just said that. Oh! <laughs> I didn't even... Okay. Uh, put a dollar in the leap jar. Yeah. <laughs> She's great. I love the interactions between her character and Sam. Um, like, there's so many, like, subtle things about it, and this great journey of, like, her starting to believe this insane story that he's telling her yeah Uh, if you look at it from her point of view i mean like that's a a big leap to take and uh yeah she has dollar for the leap joe hey i'm back do you want to see my bullet bruises special episode of quantum deep joining me we have albie and i'm hayden mcqueenie's evil twin mccamini <laughs> not easy keeping that voice up by the way just letting you know there's the whole batman thing the dark knight thanks again for joining us albie it's always great having you here oh no problem i mean you were a uh, guest on uh, one of my first episodes of my new show so i would uh, never uh, turn down returning the favor it's uh, just great to talk to you Please, Albie, tell us a little bit about your new show. Oh, it's uh, called Trekaholic. It's on YouTube and it's on uh, all the the podcast feeds as well, the audio version. But the video version can be viewed on YouTube and just search Trekaholic uh, and you'll find it on YouTube. And it's uh, on, you know, barrenspace.com. You can go and see, uh, get a subscribe to the audio version. 
It's all about Star Trek, and uh, I was lucky enough to have you on because we talked about the episode of Star Trek Enterprise that had Dean Stockwell along with Scott Bakula. So uh, it was kind of like a mini Quantum Leap uh, reunion episode. So uh, thanks for coming on the show and uh, doing that for me. I really appreciate it. Uh, you're more than welcome. I loved seeing Dean Stockwell have his, you know, knockoff version of the handlink. <laughs> very, very fun to, to watch. Maybe in uh, a later date, we'll do some excerpts of that episode uh, for the Quantum Leap fans to listen to. Mm. Let's just say you may as well call me Fabio because I can't believe it's not Quantum Leap. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, lots of stuff been happening at the moment for me as well uh, in terms of podcasting. So as you can see, I've started up again with Quantum Deep, but also as we talked about last time, I'm uh, co-hosting a new Quantum Leap podcast as well. And I stupidly forgot to mention its name last time. It's called The Starbright Project. I think you can Google it and go to their website and then you just download it onto whatever app it is that you prefer downloading all your podcasts onto. Some fun things are coming up. I'm sure they won't mind too much if I spoil this, considering I organised it anyway. But uh, we recently spoke to Deborah Pratt. Uh, she's going to be uh, the co-host with us for The Colour of Truth when we get to that episode. Uh, lots and lots of fun talking to her. She's always so keen to talk about Quantum Leap and answer any questions we've got. And I felt very, very privileged because uh, she actually asked me and Aaron when we made Michelle cover her ears because it was spoiler heavy. <laughs> she actually asked us, what would we like to see in some sort of a return of Quantum Leap? Would we like to see a continuation with Sammy Joe as her plans had always been? Or would we like to see a complete reboot of the series that starts it up with Sam and Al again with different people in there? Or just generally what we would want? I was absolutely no help to her because, <laughs> because I just said, I want whatever is going to bring Quantum Leap back to our screens and keep it there as long as possible. Got a big laugh. Yeah, so I felt very, very privileged when one of the co-creators of my favourite show asked me what I'd like to see. I would, I would agree with you. Yeah, well, apparently they're still in talks with Universal about getting it back on the air. You know, she was saying there's so much stuff out there at the moment which has essentially the same premise as Quantum Leap. And I, I remember I said, if they like the premise so much, why don't they just bring it back? And she says, that's exactly what they say to me every time. <laughs> So even Universal must be wanting it back. I don't know what's the holdup, but hopefully at some point we will get it back. Well, I would I would agree with you. I think I think anything that brings Quantum Leap back will be a good a good thing. I don't think you can mess it up. Hopefully, actually, it's funny you say that because having spoken about this conversation, I'm sure we've turned off a lot of fans as it is. Uh, mm -hmm. As you know, I'm heavily involved in a lot of the Quantum Leap groups on Facebook. Uh, I can't remember which one it was, but recently the admins of the page were starting to get really upset and tell people off and tell them to leave because they're trying to get some conversation about how they'd like to see some sort of a continuation or reboot happening. And they're like, no, can't reboot this. We need to like Quantum Leap for what it was and appreciate the fact that we had it. I was really trying to think of a nice way to tell them to get fucked, but <laughs> I couldn't. So I just stayed si so I just stayed silent. But you know, I don't think that anyone who suggests a way that the show could return would ever say that they don't love and appreciate the show that we already have. 
as you said, you're a massive Star Trek fan. I'm sure that when Star Trek The Next Generation came out, there were people who were heavily against some sort of a continuation. Mm -hmm. And then when Enterprise came out, there would have been people against it. You know, ultimately, any reboot or any continuation always should just stand on how good that is instead of constant comparison to the previous Mm -hmm. material. Yes, you can take elements of the previous material and grow on it, maybe not keep it exactly the same. I mean, if it was going to be exactly the same, then why not just watch the original? But, you know, have the same basic premise to start with and then grow from that and see where that leads. I'm sure we would all really appreciate seeing it. Anyway, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that before we actually get into our Quantum Deep segment. My thoughts on the toxicity in the fan community in any fandom really is uh, what people forget to think about and really don't understand, I think, is that no matter what new incarnation of our present fandom comes out, it doesn't change the original series of Quantum Leap. That series is on Blu-ray on our shelves, and we can watch it anytime we like, and no matter what's done in the future with it, it doesn't change that. So if we only want to watch that and we only want to be fans of the original series, it's still there. I wholeheartedly agree with you. I look forward to a reboot of uh, Quantum Leap and, you know, it'd be great if it followed Sammy Joe because a female lead would be a great uh, change and also very uh, intriguing to me. So if they made it Sammy Joe, that would be great. And uh, it, that would get, bring an opportunity to have maybe Scott Bakula in the first episode and here and there maybe guest, guest yeah. you know, and just to set up the series and kind of hand it off like in, uh, like you mentioned, Next Generation. Uh, so if you have uh, Scott Bakula kind of handing off uh, to the new lead in the new series, that would be great. But um, the people want what can't isn't possible anymore because we're all humans and we all age. So you can't have Scott and Dean back to uh, continue the series. Uh, you're going to have to have a new a new take on the series. But uh, like any other sci-fi or fantasy property, the Quantum Leap is a huge one. And to not have a, a new version or a continuing version or a, a version of a show that takes place in the same universe is just silly, I think. I think eventually whatever they do, fans will embrace. And it's got to be made for younger audiences than the people that watched it originally because there's not as many of us around as there are the newer audience, you know. And there's always going to be the people that are going to say, the original is always the best. You're never going to be able to recreate it. Uh, It would be disrespectful to do so. Mm. Well, to them, I say it has been done in the past. Star Trek is a good example, uh, going into the next generation and then into Enterprise and then all the other incarnations we've had since. But not only that, if you want to see the way to reboot any kind of series or any kind of premise, look no further than the rebooted DuckTales. Okay, now I've only recently watched one episode only because it came to my attention recently. And the reason is because I was more of a Darkwing Duck fan than DuckTales, even though I did love DuckTales as well. But uh, in this particular episode, it was also to reboot Darkwing Duck. And that episode was called The Duck Knight Returns. It's season two, episode 16. And I made you watch it as well. What did you think? I really appreciate you uh, turning me on to this episode of DuckTales in particular. I, I'm a big DuckTales fan. I was never really a Darkwing Duck fan, and I don't know why. 
I love the original DuckTales series. I watched that when it was originally on. I watched it again with my daughter. When Serenity and I played the DuckTales remastered video game for the Wii U, we absolutely love that. And that that's a great I game. I loved it too. And I really love too in that one, just sorry, just on a side note, I really love too. They brought back all of the original cast from the nineteen eighties and nineties series that were still living to reprise their voices too, which I thought was beautiful. It was great. It was just a great game. The last level was horrible to 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 win, but it, it finally I fi- we finally did together. But that inspired us to watch the new version of DuckTales, uh, two thousand seventeen, and we watched the first season and we didn't make it to season two for some reason. But I uh, now that I've watched uh, the Duck Knight Returns, we're totally going to get back into DuckTales and maybe even check out Darkwing Duck because, I mean, this episode was so amazing. It really was. Uh, look, I know that this is the Quantum Leap podcast, not the DuckTales or the Darkwing Duck podcast, but we have to give the plot synopsis of this episode. And when you listen to it, you might realize just how much this episode is like watching the fans of Quantum Leap arguing on those Facebook sites. Launchpad and Dewey are visiting the grand opening of a brand new furniture outlet where Jim Starling, former Darkwing Duck actor, is cutting the ribbon. Jim offers autographs, but the few patrons that are present are unimpressed. An overeager fan tries to ask Jim something, but being disgruntled over not having any major gigs, Jim passes him over and only begrudgingly signs his poster. Spotting Dewey, he believes that kids still love him, only to recognise Launchpad as someone who's fainted in front of him before. As Dewey tries to post a photo of Launchpad and Jim, he sees that Darkwing Duck is a trending topic worldwide because a Darkwing Duck movie is in production. Launchpad drives Dewey and Jim, albeit fainting every few seconds from being starstruck, while driving, to the studio. Dewey questions why the studio wouldn't send a car for Jim or even inform him the movie exists. Launchpad believes that the movie couldn't be made without him, as Jim is Darkwing, and Jim agrees. Eventually, the three arrive at the studio producing the movie, McDuck Studios. The director of the film, Alistair Borswan, tries to convince Scrooge to give him more money so he can finish the project. However, being over budget and generally being behind the times on filmmaking trends, Scrooge demands to be consulted on all decisions. Launchpad, Dewey and Jim arrive at the meeting where Alastair shows them the trailer. The trailer shows the film to be a dark and gritty reboot of the series, featuring Darkwing as more of a dark anti-hero, battling darkness with more darkness. Jim approves, but Launchpad doesn't think it's truly Darkwing, and Dewey hates it, finding it confusing. Scrooge sees that if it doesn't appeal to Dewey, the target demographic, it won't make money. So Scrooge puts Dewey in charge, angering Alistair. Jim pulls Alistair aside and asks him, when can they start? Alistair reveals that the film is almost finished. So Jim believes that the Darkwing scenes are being shot last, or at least to be put in later with CGI. Alistair tells Jim that he isn't playing Darkwing, revealing that the fan from earlier is playing Darkwing in the new movie. Enraged, Jim attacks the fan and is thrown out of the studio. Launchpad meets up with Jim outside. Jim plans to have Launchpad lock up the new actor in his trailer, while Jim sneaks onto the set to finish the movie so that people will see him as superior. Launchpad questions the plan, but Jim convinces him that it's the right thing to do. Jim distracts the guard while Launchpad makes his way to the trailer. He falls in and seems locked in, but the new Darkwing comes in and rescues him. Continuing the plan, Launchpad locks the door again. The new Darkwing attacks Launchpad, questioning the heroism of locking him in his trailer. The two fight, but soon bond over their shared experience of Darkwing Duck making an impact on their childhood. 
The actor reveals that Darkwing inspired him to always get up when things are tough and wants to do the same thing for a new generation of fans. Realising that he and Jim were wrong, Launchpad vows to get the new Darkwing back to the movie. Jim hides away from some guards by hiding at a Darkwing dance crew that Dewey hired. Jim knocks out the guards and tries to hide them in a large crate. The actor comes to Jim and offers him to work on the movie and make the best Darkwing possible. Jim, having obviously snapped, grabs the actor, violently closes the crate and laughs maniacally. Alistair arrives on the set to see Dewey's changes, including a musical number and chainsaw jugglers that Dewey brought in. He tells Darkwing, not realising it's Jim in the costume, to ignore the changes and that he will fight Megavolt and take a knee. Jim objects. Launchpad finds Jim and Jim tells him that the fans said that he couldn't finish the movie and so sent Jim in his place. Launchpad gets suspicious. Once filming begins, Jim goes off script and attacks the actor playing Megavolt. Doing so, he knocks over a lightning tower and the set catches on fire. Alistair tries to stop him, but Jim attacks him with a lightning ray, threatening that he'll finish filming the finale, even if it kills him and everyone else. The actor arrives, introducing himself as Darkwing Duck, ready to save the day. Outraged, Jim fires the lightning ray at him. Darkwing distracts Jim, while Launchpad goes to turn on the sprinklers. Jim tries to stop Darkwing, setting off explosives, dropping a piano, but Darkwing shows how strong and resilient he is, even resisting direct shots of lightning. The ray explodes and the two Darkwings face off. Jim knocks down the other Darkwing as Launchpad activates the Rainmaker, putting out the fire. Jim grabs a chainsaw to finish off Darkwing as Launchpad falls to the ground. Launchpad gives an inspirational speech, trying to convince Jim to stop. The water from the sprinklers begins to affect the other lightning tower. For a moment, Jim seems to realise the error of his ways, staring at a reflection of himself in the chainsaw. Darkwing goes to save Launchpad, but Jim pushes them out of the way, wanting to be the one who saves him. The set then collapses on top of Jim, seemingly killing him. Alistair filmed the whole thing and believes it would be the perfect end to the movie. Upon viewing it, though, he sees that it was filmed over by Dewey dancing in front of a green screen. This then leads Scrooge to shut down the whole production on account of Dewey botching up the ending with his dance montage. Darkwing, disillusioned by what has transpired, wonders what he's going to do now. Launchpad convinces him to do what Darkwing always does, get back up. Launchpad says that he could do the superhero thing for real. Darkwing agrees, doing it in honour of Jim. Launchpad gets Darkwing to sign his poster, revealing the actor's real name, Drake Mallard, the alter ego of Darkwing Duck in the original series. Unbeknownst to the two, strange purple liquid flows into the sewers beneath the set. Jim is revealed to have survived the explosion. He rambles to himself, claiming that Drake put Launchpad in danger so he could save him and steal the glory and humiliate Jim. Saying that if people want grim and gritty, he's happy to play the part. Coming into the light, it's revealed that his clothes have changed to a red, yellow and black colour scheme. His voice is angrier and deeper, and his teeth are sharp. Jim has become this continuity's version of Darkwing Duck's greatest enemy and supervillain, Mega Duck. He plots his revenge, setting up a potential return for him, and the episode ends with an evil, maniacal blast. So, when we watched this episode, 
what do we see? We see the fan who absolutely adored the series originally and wants it to come back in its original form. That, of course, being Launchpad. Ah, cool! A big budget reboot of a thing I loved as a kid! Those are always great! Is Darkwing's motorcycle in it? Is he still a noble hero who gets back up and fights for right no matter what evil throws at him? You're keeping the theme song, right? That is not Darkwing Duck! DW never heard innocent people or set the city on fire! Not on purpose. And I absolutely loved the tirade of questions that he gave to the director when he met the director to start with. (laughs) That that made me laugh so much. Will it have the original theme song? Everything like that. Speaking of which, Darkwing Duck and DuckTales, the two most addictive theme songs in the world, by the way. Yes. (laughs) So we saw Launchpad. And how many times have we seen people talking like that mm-hmm. about Quantum Leap? Yeah. How it has to be pretty much exactly the same as it left off. Sam and Al have to be the same. It has to have the same theme song. It has to be a continuation <laughs> of the show as we know it. Otherwise, right. it won't be any good. Right. Just rewatch the original series again. That's what I would suggest. Yeah. Beck Bennett was really yeah. good as Launchpad in this. He was, yeah. And the other thing about Launchpad too, he's actually the only character that was in both Duck Hales and Darkwing Duck as a recurring character. Mm. He was Darkwing Duck's sidekick, but he was also Scrooge McDuck's pilot and chauffeur. Um, it actually led people to believe originally that they existed in the same universe. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would make sense. Launchpad's probably just moved away from Duckburg and gone to help Darkwing. Turns out that it was always intended that they were different universes. And it makes sense now watching this episode because Darkwing Ducks is a television show in the DuckTales universe. Mm. But anyway, getting back to what I was talking about, we've got the, the diehard fan who doesn't want anything to change. We've got the director who just wants to make sure that it's something that's going to uh, appeal to the viewers, uh, wanting to make it darker and grittier and more violent just because that's the flavour of the month at the moment. And how many times have we seen that in reboots of comic book movies? And I sincerely hope that they wouldn't go down that path. A psychological examination of man's inhumanity to man. But are we all not both the heroes and the villains of our own story? I mean, elements of darkness are good. I don't mind seeing, you know, a person go through some personal growth and live long enough to become the villain. But uh, I don't like seeing it just for the sake of it being dark. So, yeah, we see the the director who wants everything dark and post-apocalyptic and everyone seeming to be an anti-hero rather than a hero, uh, just because that's the flavour of the month. We see the target demographic who doesn't understand it and everyone trying to pander to the target demographic, in this case, the kids or the younger audience. I kind of hated it. What? I didn't understand what was happening or what the bad guy was doing or even who the bad guy was. I knew he needed a mustache. It needs aliens or ninjas or the streetwise sidekick who skateboards everywhere and talks in catchphrases like you do, eh? This is your main audience. If this fiasco is going to make money, it has to appeal to the most childish child I know. Jewies and child. I mean, you were talking about that before. Whatever new incarnation of Quantum Leap we ever get is going to have to appeal to a younger audience than its original um, fan base. And that new version of Quantum Leap will bring in more fans to the original version as well, I'm sure. Yeah, well, we would hope so. And of course, Drake Mallard, who is playing the new Darkwing Duck and eventually becoming the new actual superhero Darkwing Duck. He uh, obviously is the fan of the show as it originally was, and wants to do the best that they can to help it to come back, to help it to grow, to help it to stay around and ultimately to be respectful. Look, I know this movie's not perfect, but I really want to make it better. 
then maybe I can be on the lunchbox that inspires some other kid like me. And I thought that this was such an insightful episode. I mean, this is essentially Disney goes meta. I mean, you could say this about any kind of reboot that Disney even are doing. Right. And it's said in a reboot itself, the new DuckTales is a reboot of the original DuckTales. Exactly. And how many live action reboots of Disney movies are we getting at the moment? Oh, so many. But the point is, as long as you do it respectfully, try and make it entertaining and don't essentially ruin the original source material or make people have a nasty association with it by doing a bad job, then you're going to bring in more fans instead of turning them away. And I just thought this episode did this so brilliantly with this kind of meta conversation and meta narrative that it had. And ultimately, the ending too. I mean, it, it perfectly sets up a brand new supervillain, Negaduck, explains why he's the spitting image of Darkwing Duck. Yeah, and of course, if this was to be the pilot episode of a new Darkwing Duck series, well, I'm hooked. I want to see it. Yeah. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Like it always does. It got the cogs in my mind turning. How could we do something like this in Quantum Leap? Well, we've already seen in Quantum Leap, Sam is, towards the end of the series, Sam is starting to lose it a little bit. Some of the previous personas, he keeps a little bit of them every time. The longer he does it, the less he's going to keep of himself. And I reckon eventually he could easily just snap, decides he doesn't want to do it anymore, and just ends up becoming some sort of an anti-hero or a rogue. That could end up being the start of the new Quantum Leap series. We, I mean... With this awful year 2020, well, why don't we make it that it's Sam who is stuffing everything up for everyone in 2020, Hmm. and they have to send a leaper to try and, A, fix what Sam's putting wrong, but also try and get Sam back and, and, you know, help him restore his mental health. I could see that. How good of a reboot or continuation of the series would that be? It's a way to bring Scott Bakula in it, um, not just as a cameo to start off the series, but also potentially in a recurring role every now and then, you know, Mm. they they could stop what Sam's doing. Could even be an explanation of the Evil Leapers. I mean, it's all his knowledge anyway that created Quantum Leap in the first place. And it seems like the Evil Project is something to do with essentially all of Sam's original technology and original theories um, just built upon it. So maybe Sam himself had something to do with the evil project. Hmm. And and to think it's a kid's TV show that got me to think of these things. (laughs) Well, this episode of uh, DuckTales, The Duck Knight Returns, uh, I think they knew how big this was and they really did a great job in uh, writing it and putting so much into it. And this episode, I'm serious, it it deserves its own podcast, like the uh, Duck Knight Returns minute, you know, minute by minute (laughs) analysis of it. It, it, There's so much packed into it. And there's so many meanings and it, it says so much about so many things. It's amazing. And not only that, too. They were respectful of the source material too. Mm-hmm. Like the person that they got to play Jim Starling, who in this universe was the actor who played Darkwing Duck in their original series. He was voiced by Jim Cummings, who was originally Darkwing Duck. And as another nice touch, the animation style for Jim Starling was closer to the original animation series than the new animation style of the current DuckTales series, while the newer Drake Mallard, who is going to be the new Darkwing, was animated more in the new style. Well, it was an easy way for the audience to keep track of who was who, 
because ultimately they're supposed to look the same, at least to everyone there. Uh, but not only that, it's also a nice way to pay homage to the original series. And uh, in the little comic book um, flashback that they did of Drake talking about how Darkwing Duck inspired him to keep always getting back up, well, that comic book was in the style of the original Darkwing Duck series as well. Also a nice little callback to the original series. The original series was always kind of fast and loose with its continuity. They just liked telling a good story. They ended up actually having three separate unconnected origin stories for Darkwing Duck <laughs> throughout the 90 or so episodes that they did. But the first one seems to be the one that they lean most most heavily on, and that's called Paradox. And the idea there was that the only reason that Drake Mallard grew up to become Darkwing Duck was because at some point Darkwing went back in time and inspired him. Yeah, I read about that, about the time travel involved. So I'm intrigued. I can't wait to go back. And now that it's all on Disney+, Plus, I'm going to totally watch it all. Yeah. And of course, this is the same sort of premise. The only reason that Drake Mallard becomes Darkwing Duck is because he's been inspired by some other version of Darkwing Duck. Whoa. So, uh, I look, I didn't know that a kid's TV show would get this deep. It's amazing how much uh, you can find when people take the time to care, I think, is the mm. thing. I really love when something's written by someone who actually cares about it and when it's clever. And you could tell that the people involved in making this actually did care about the original properties. Absolutely. I think it was the producer of the original Darkwing Duck series ended up doing a voice cameo in one character in uh, this episode as well. Uh, was was that the uh, was that the guard at the gate of the movie studio? Yes, his name was Tad, and it was by Tad Stones. I just think that this is something that is definitely worth seeing for anyone who liked the original Ducktales or the original Darkwing Duck, but also anyone who likes seeing how a reboot is done right. And if the writers of Quantum Leap, however they want to bring back the show, want some ideas, then they could definitely take some elements of this as well. You know, I think I've talked about this in previous Quantum Deeps. There's never been an original thought for decades. And it's believed that, you know, if somebody did come up with a truly original thought, no one would like it. <laughs> People borrow elements from things all the time yeah. to make their stories. So if they want to see how a reboot or a continuation is done right, watch this episode. The moral of this episode is definitely meant for, I think, those toxic fans that just hate everything that hasn't been done already. And I do hope that, you know, some of these toxic fans would watch something like this hmm. and realize, no, continuations and reboots can be done right. Just because we want something to come back or we want more doesn't mean that we don't love what was originally there. Right. They come from different accounts, really. Loving one thing doesn't bankrupt the other one. Exactly. People who say, don't even talk about reboots, we don't do that here. The only reason that they're doing that is because they love the show and they want to show people that they love the show. They want it brought back. They want new fans to come to the table and they want other people to enjoy what we've all enjoyed in the past. I mean, there's nothing toxic about that. Right. And if you look at it like the big picture, we're all reboots of our parents. Reboots have been happening since the beginning of time. Anyone who does want to watch this episode, I believe it is on Disney Plus, isn't it? Yes, I just watched it on such. So you can see it on Disney Plus. It's season two, episode 16. It's called The Duck Knight Returns. Anyone who loved the original DuckTales, anyone who loved the original Darkwing Duck is going to love this episode. And it's super funny. There's so many things in this episode that made me laugh out loud. 
definitely go and give that a watch if you're interested. And if you want to discuss possible reboots or possible continuations of Quantum Leap, do it. Don't listen to anyone else. I'll always listen to it anyway. So thanks again for joining us. Who have you been? I've been Albie. I am the terror that flaps in the night. I am the comeback <gasps> the audience demands. I have been Hayden McQueenie going quantum deep. Wearing of mystery, champion of right. Swoops out of the shadows, dark wing of the night. Somewhere some villain schemes, but his numbers up. Dark wing Smoke and he appears, the master 